If you would, please uh, pray with me this morning as we prepare to dive into God's Word. Uh, Jesus, we are uh, madly in love with you, and we don't even understand what that means. We don't even understand the depths of the love that you have given to us by dying on the cross. Yet we try to love you back, and we try to love one another uh, to reflect the love that you poured out on us. And God, I pray that this morning as we look at your, your, your Word, Lord, that it would give us a deeper understanding, that it would increase the value of this immeasurable grace, this mercy that is, is new every single day. And Lord, that we would rejoice and that we would desire to walk with you and that we desire to bring glory to who you are as our Father, as our Savior, and that you have given us this wonderful gift. And it only comes from you. And so we want to honor you and want to praise you this morning. Uh, during this time together. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we're going to continue in our uh, series in Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. We're in the, the next section uh, of chapter 2, 1 through 10. Uh, we covered 1, 2, and 3, verses 1, 2, and 3 last week, and we're going to try to cover 4 through 10 uh, this morning. And we'll start off by uh, uh, sharing a, a short story with you. I remember when I was uh, about Jocelyn's age, Jocelyn's about to turn seven, so six, seven years old, and I remember riding on the tractor for the first time that my dad had on the property, and it was one of those moments where he's like, hey, we're going to go, and we're going to go on a tractor ride, we're going to go bush hogging, and I want you to ride with me, and so I immediately looked at him, and I ran upstairs, and I got dressed, and I came down, and I tried to dress exactly like him, jeans, shirt, hat, boots, I was like, we're about to do this thing. We're going to ride the tractor. I want to imitate. I want to be just like my dad as I get a ride on this tractor and go bush hogging with him. And as we sat on the tractor, I remember just dialing in on everything he was touching, how he, how he cranked the tractor and how he'd operate the gears and how he'd operate the pedals. And all these gadgets looked really confusing to a six-year-old's brain. But I was, I was just honed in. I was dialed in on everything that he was doing. I wanted to, I wanted to imitate what he was, was doing one day. I wanted to, 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 to be my dad in his lap while we were riding this tractor. How he, he operated the, the bush hog up and down using these levers and these hydraulics. And I, it's just, as I was even thinking about it this week, I thought, man, there's so many details to that first experience riding a tractor in my, in my dad's lap. And I had to trust that he knew what he was doing. That's the other part of it. As a six-year-old, I'm trusting, well, this, this man that I'm sitting in his lap, he's, he's doing this right, and what he's doing is good, right? And then also, I want to make sure that what he's doing is, is safe. But I remember immediately, as a child, thinking, I want to do this right now. That's Jocelyn. Like, I'll show her something, and she's like, now let me do it. Like, give me the thing, and I want to go do it. And that was me, and I wanted to do that. Now, if my dad would have allowed me to drive the tractor as a six-year-old, that probably would have turned out really poorly for everyone, including the tractor, including myself. I probably would have gotten hurt. And so the gift that my dad gave me that day was he didn't allow me to do what I wanted to do. He didn't give me what I wanted. And I think that's part of like what this text, as we jump into it today, is that we're realizing that we don't always get what we want. And that's a good thing sometimes. Normally, that's a good thing thing. I'll tell you the story this morning because we're going to look at this beautiful text, this, this incredible piece of scripture where God is pouring out this immeasurable grace to us through his son, Jesus, a loving father caring 
for his creation in a perfect way, a way that we can't care for each other, but only the Father can care for us. Uh, I want to start, we're going to go back to chapter 1 just for a second, and we're going to look at the last couple verses in chapter 1 of Ephesians, where we see that Jesus is now, he's raised from the dead, Paul's talking about he's raised from the dead, he's placed in the position of, of king, he's king over all the heavenly realms, he's king over all authority, over all things, good and evil, past, present, and future, and he's placed his head over specifically the church. In verse 22 of chapter 1 it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then we transition into chapter 2 and we see the shift from it being about Jesus to now it's about the people of Jesus. And as this letter is circulating, those readers are reading the, the attributes and who Jesus is, and then the letter shifts and says, now let's talk about you. And this transition happens, and this isn't a letter of rebuke or, or uh, uh, re- uh, correction. It's a letter of remembrance. And when, as we see the tense of the letter, it's all written in the past tense. So it's more of a letter that's, hey, I just want you to remember where you have come from so we can know where we are, are going. And so often we need to take a step back and think and remember where we've come from. So we can kind of know the direction of where of where we're going. Last week, uh, we spoke about this great uh, importance of we were dead in our sin. Right. We talked about the misconceptions of what that that phrase means. And we talked about how incredibly important it is to understand that phrase that we are. that we were once dead to our sin. This week, we're going to look at two more things in verses four through ten. We're going to look at what we have now, what we have become now that we are in Christ. And then we're also going to look at God's purpose in this remarkable transformation from being dead to sin to alive in Christ. This transaction happens. This, this, this transformation happens. And so, like I said, for us to know where we're, we're going, we need to be reminded of where we came from. So verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Very beginning, in the garden, Adam and Eve, right? They were there, they were with God, they were made in His image. They heard God's words. God spoke directly to them and asked them to obey. And then they heard the words of a serpent. And they believed the words of a serpent over the words of God. And immediately they became a son and daughter of disobedience. That's what it tells us in the first three verses, that we were once sons of disobedience. And so Adam and Eve are now sons and daughters of disobedience because they decided not to obey God's word. They decided that God's word wasn't good enough for them. And I'm guilty of that. I'm so often guilty of knowing God's word and doing something that is of my flesh instead of what's probably way more healthy. And then Paul writes all this in the past tense. and He says, you were born this way. He's setting up the power of who of what God is going to do. He's saying you were this way. But you weren't designed, you weren't meant to be this way. You weren't designed, this is not your purpose, this is not the end result, it's a a past tense. We weren't designed, created like this, which is such good news. And he's talking about the penalty of our rebellion. And yeah, I think it's probably a physical death that he's talking about, but I think even more so, it is a spiritual death that we will we'll engage, that we'll experience if we continue to be sons and daughters of disobedience, if we continue to hear God's word and not obey. 
18 years ago, Jesus captured my heart. It's so weird to write that. 18 years ago, God captured my heart as a junior in college. And I remember that he led me to who he was in the fullness through his word, through people that were praying for me, for, through people that were uh, encouraging me. And every day since then, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize how messed up I am, how needy I am, and how much more I need to lean on God than lean on my own understanding. Every day it, it digs down a little bit deeper. And every day that I realize how messed up I am, I also realize the multitude of how big God's love, how great His grace, how rich His mercy is. The more I understand the depths of my sin, the more I understand the magnitude of His love. And we're all born that way. We're all born messed up people. That's called the doctrine of sin. We inherit this sin nature inside of us where we constantly and naturally want to rebel from God's word. That's what happened with Adam and Eve when they decided that God's word was not good enough for them. They rebelled and they became sons and daughters of disobedience just like us. That's kind of boring. That's kind of sad. You're like, I wish I would have went somewhere else. But here's the truth. Is that we all as people people, and we call ourselves believers, we are always trying to create ways to be better, to be a, a, a Christian, if you will, right? We think that we can inherit Christianity because my mom and my dad were a Christian, then I too must be a Christian. I inherited it from them. Or we think, hey, I'm an American. And I don't say that jokingly. Like, I literally have conversations with people that say, I'm a, I'm because, I'm, because you're from America, you must be a Christian. And some people believe that. And our dollar bill says, in God do we trust? Well, how far and how deep does that really expose who we are as sinners and how much grace and mercy Jesus uh, exposes to us? Some of us think we're Christians or we're good people just because we show up at church. You're here this morning. You've checked that box and you feel pretty good about yourself. Or you give to, to the local church or, or maybe you say a prayer before each one of your meals as you sit around the table. And, and we, we find that we take satisfaction in those things, that we think that's enough. We think if we do these things, then that's enough. Well, the reality is that none of those things will lead us to a relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to tear down what J.P. was talking about last week, those misconceptions, and come to the realization that, man, we are born into sin, and we need to be rescued. J.P. mentioned this last week. He said, why do we, uh, why we do what we do exposes the motivation of our hearts. That's so true. And, but we have to do the hard work of looking at our hearts and thinking, why am I doing these things? Am I doing these things because I want to be in good standing with God? Am I trying to gain favor with God? Or am I doing these things because I want people around me, my neighbors, my friends, my kids, to think that I'm a good person? If that's the motivation, then that motivation will continue to steer you away from the understanding of who Jesus is as, as our Savior. I'm satisfied when I can pay the bills. I'm satisfied when I show up to work on time. I'm satisfied when I go to church. I'm satisfied when my kids and my wife are happy with me. That's really satisfying, right? But none of these satisfactions can give me a relationship with Jesus. Just because I'm satisfied does not mean that the wrath of God is satisfied. It must be justified on the cross, not just in my mind. And I think that as 
we wrestle and we understand the depth of our sin, we start realizing that it's not just justified in my mind, but it has to go deeper. It has to be justified on the cross. Romans three twenty two and 24, it says, Therefore there is no distinction for all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have all lived in this posture of rebellion against God, some of us longer than others. And until we are able, until, until God captures our hearts, we're going to remain dead, like Ephesians tells us. Until God does that work in our hearts, we'll remain dead in our trespasses. And so what, have, uh, beca- what has become now that we are in Christ? So let's look at verse 4 through, four, th- four through 10. The beauty of this, this text. All right, but God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us. We were once, past tense, dead, because we were married, we were engaged, we were in an intimate relationship with sin. And now God has said, but God, being rich in mercy. And we have to camp out and talk about what that means. What does mercy mean? It means what my dad showed me on the tractor, that he didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't give me what I deserved. Look at first, we don't have to look at that, I'll read it to you. First Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We don't deserve any of that. So that's grace, is that He gave us what we don't deserve. And mercy is that He didn't give us what we do deserve. As a five, six, seven year old kid on a tractor, I probably, if I were to take off in the tractor, I would have hurt myself, and deservingly so. But my dad loved me enough to care for me in a way that he wouldn't allow that to happen. He knew better than I knew for myself. In Christ, He offers us a pardon. A new life, to be born again, a living hope, an inheritance that's eternal. To be this new creation, He is inviting us to be His bride. And as you read through Ephesians, you start seeing this together language, and this new beautiful language that we see here, the kind of love that we can only we read about, but it grows, it's alive. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we recognize this love is greater than I imagined it could ever be. It's this powerful love, and it's so incredibly undeserving. Romans 5.8 says that God shows us His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we, have, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It is not earned. It is not owed to us. We don't deserve it. It is a free gift. He caused it. He justified it. He created it. He considered us. And he has reconciled us. And it's all been a free gift. And we look at verse 5 and it shows that why it's a free gift. Even when we were dead in our trespasses... He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are dead in our trespasses. What does it mean to trespass? We were living in a place that we were had no we were not designed to be in. We are trespassing. We are saying, you know what? I want to live in darkness without an ounce of light. I want to live on the other side. I want to go where I'm not designed. And that's the beauty of it is that we were never supposed to be there. When you trespass, it means that you were not supposed to be there. It's off limits. But God, through his great rich, his rich mercy and his grace, he rescued us from that darkness. From that place that we were that we were believing that we could live, that we could survive. John 3.19 says that man would much rather live in darkness than in light. We started believing the lie that this is where we find comfort, is living in darkness. You know why comfort, you know why this darkness is comfortable? Because nobody can see you. Because you're not exposed. You can hide. You don't have to, you don't have to, be transparent. You don't have to be vulnerable. You can just hide in darkness. And Satan wants nothing more for us just to stay in that darkness. But because of God's great and wonderful and beautiful mercy, he plucks us from living in that. What we deserve. And he takes us and he brings us into marvelous light. And he pours out his great, great, immeasurable grace. You have been saved by grace We were once sons and daughters of disobedience, and now you are sons and daughters of a king. Of a king. We are are now receiving what we do not deserve. Only God knows where you guys are, where I am. But he's called us to be in a community to share with one another. You know what tractor you're on. You know what thing you want to control that that you wish that you could just take control of. Whether it's cancer, whether it's death, whether it's financial issues, whether it's your kids, whatever, it's your job. Whatever that thing is that you're fighting for control, trust that God is in control. And he's sitting there saying, you don't have to be in control. And I'm going to, because of my rich mercy, I'm not going to allow you to have what you want. Because that's only going to bring hurt and pain and sorrow to you. I love the the um, the clip in the Chronicles of Narnia when Mr. Beaver and Suzanne are having that conversation, and Mr. Beaver says, uh, "He says the lion, oh the great lion, Aslan, Aslan." And she says, "Oh, he's a lion. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous about being about meeting a lion." Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. He's the king, I tell you. He's our king. And so sometimes it doesn't feel safe where you are. Sometimes we feel like it's a, it, it is a tailspin. It's out of control. Sometimes we feel like we know best and we just want to grab all the, the gadgets and all the levers and take over and be in control of this thing. And God's just saying, just trust me. I've got you where you, I've got you because I love you. And whether we agree or not, sometimes we just have to sit back and say, I know this isn't safe, but I know he's good. I know he's a good king, so I just want to trust him. 
In verse 7, it starts telling us what God's purpose in this remarkable transformation is. It says that so that in the coming ages he might show immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right, so I've tried to get my head around what immeasurable grace. How can I explain that in a sermon? How do you preach God's immeasurable grace? So I'm going to steal it from John Piper. Right. He tried to explain this, and I even thought, oh, that's an okay job, but it's not, it still doesn't give the depths of it. So I added some stuff, but he was explaining it in the monetary way. If you take the entire state of, uh, of the Queen of England, 263 farmed acres, billions of dollars of industrial office and retail properties, she owns ha- or the, 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 the estate owns half of the UK's shoreline. 12 miles of seabed out into the territorial limit. The total value of that is $16.5 billion. And what if she died and you got a letter and says you just inherited that? We wouldn't know what to do, right? We'd be like, whoa, yes, cha-ching. Right? Now take all that inheritance and and uh, consolidate it to a, a grain of sand. And then take it out in the ocean and drop it. Let it fall to the bed of the ocean where all the other sand is. And all the sand that is on the bed of the ocean has an equal value of that $16.5 billion piece of sand. And that still doesn't quite explain the depths of God's immeasurable grace that he's pouring out on us every single day. It is so incredibly undeserving. We try to get it... You have to try to get our, our heads and our hearts around it. But we can't because it's immeasurable. And so what that leads us to is the understanding that these gifts that we're about to talk about are gifts from God because we can't get it. We, we don't have the ability to understand it. It has to be through the Holy Spirit that we would even receive such things. So for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of of God, that sentence is so incredibly rich. This is a gift. This is the gift of God. We can't earn it. It's not owed to us. We don't deserve it. And we can't even begin to understand the depths of His love, His grace, His mercy. We can't even begin. So for us to even begin this relationship, it has to be a gift that He would invite us into it. So the gift is God's grace. The gift is that he would pour out a measure of of faith. That he would give us faith to be able to even understand. Then the salvation, that too is just another gift. It's so important that we understand this because this is an act of God. This is an act of God only. There's no other place that we can go to find or to, to create this type of relationship. Jesus invited us into this relationship through dying on the cross for our sins. This is not a transaction between us and God. We don't have anything to offer God in this transformation. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Salvation is a gift, and we take no credit. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He is the giver we take. 
And I know that sounds so passive, like I'm just sitting on my hands. But then it continues to tell us that this is not a result of works. It's not something that we do. And so he does it so that we don't boast. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast in Christ alone. We have no other place to brag or to boast or to think that we earned it or deserved it. For we are his workmanship. And you start to see this, this economy of the kingdom of God change. It's different than where we are. It says that for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. That word workmanship is where we get the word poem. In the Greek, that's where we get the word poem. So think of yourself. You are God's poem, created by God to glorify and to uh, magnify who he is as the creator. You are the poem, the workmanship, created in his image, crafted. You are beautiful because of Jesus, not because of our flesh, not because of our sin. We're disgusting that way. But God has made you this beautiful workmanship that he has crafted with his hands. When you get your head and your heart around that, which only the Holy Spirit can do, man, then we start remembering the whole point of the letter is that we remember. We start remembering where we came from, what we once were. And we start remembering and, and celebrating and worshiping where God is taking us and what he has done on the cross so that we can even have this relationship because it's all just a response. All we are called to do is just response, respond to this great gift. You've all seen a kid open this gift, right? And how excited they get. They may even have known what was in the, but when they tear that paper off and they look at this gift and their response, because it's the best gift they've ever gotten, is nothing but pure joy and worship and satisfaction in the one that has given them this gift. And that's the picture, is that we would just look and the box, when we open it, it's not what we deserve. <laughs> Praise the Lord, it's not what we deserve. It's what we don't deserve. It's grace. It is the gift of grace. So we're about to take communion this morning together as a church. And that's part of it, is that we are here to respond to that. And so if you are coming this morning and you're going to take communion, then you're saying that your hope is in this gospel. You're saying that, that you are a sinner and you understand and you're understanding actively the depths of your sin. And at the same time, you're understanding the magnitude of God's holiness, His grace, his mercy, his love, and you're coming to the table to celebrate. You're coming saying that you are his workmanship, that you are his poem, because you walk in Christ. You're saying you are God's new creation. He has given you faith. He has given you mercy. He has given you grace, and you don't want an ounce of credit for it. You are saying that you are going to leave here today and you are going to push other people and pray for other people to, to bring glory to God, not for your own standing or your own favor, your own uh, boasting. You're saying that you will rest in Him while He drives the tractor. While He navigates the difficulties of what we see that, that we're living in. You're saying that we are not meant for this world, but meant and made for an eternal kingdom. We're trespassing when we live in darkness. If that's not your intent, then don't come. This isn't a time to check the box. 
This isn't a time uh, that's just routine for us to take the Lord's Supper. This is a time where we are remembering and we're professing that Jesus is King. Those who believe, hear these words. You are a new creation because of Jesus. And this is the gift of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so incredibly thankful for you that made all of this happen. God, thank you for dying on the cross so that we wouldn't have to feel, feel the wrath of what we deserve, feel the wrath of our sin. And we were born that way. We, we had no other rescuer except for you, Jesus. And I, I pray that if that's new news to anyone in here this morning, God, that they would hear that news and that they would respond. That they would recognize for the first time that this is a great gift and it's immeasurable. And we're going to spend the rest of our lives living with you and trying to figure out how, how great your love is. Does it get better? And the answer is always yes. It never changes, but we start recognizing that we're a lot worse than we thought we were. And you're a lot better than we could ever imagine. God, I pray that you draw our hearts near to your heart this morning in an act of worship as we prepare for taking communion. God, that this would be for you in remembrance of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.